Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Gunham Book Club. Uh, we decided this month to read slash listen to a title by uh, Ted Decker. And it was the title 3, T-H-R-3-E. And we had this one submitted to us by our very own Cat. How you doing, Cat? Good, how are you? Pretty awesome. Uh, and um, with us as is becoming more and more usual. Glad to have you with us, Roar. Thanks for having me. Hey. Um, so, um, last month we did... Uh, was it good intentions last month? Yeah. Um, and we went on for, shoot, it was almost two hours. So we're going to, we're going to rein that in some, I think we've got a little bit better structure here. And, um, anybody got anything interesting to talk about before we dive into it? Uh, have you guys been listening to any other books other than this one? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, how about you, Kat? No, I'm. Uh, uh, books aren't my forte, so this is why this will probably be my one and only submission into the book club. <laughs> um, so no, I haven't. But there are, you know, like the the first couple series. Um, I am interested in revisiting those or going back on my own and listening to those and finishing out that series. So um, the other one being, uh, we did. Uh, Dead Witch Walking, which is the first yeah. book of the Hollow series. Yeah, that's uh, I enjoyed that one. Uh, myself, I read the latest Patricia Briggs release, Soul Taken, uh, the latest book of the Mercy Thompson series. Uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and I am uh, now reading uh, kind of a uh, harem world-building uh, book called Raw. And it's not been as good, but... Um, always got to weed through a bunch of crap to find things you like, I guess. Um, so, and Roar, you said you've been listening to a little more of the Hollow series, yeah? Yeah, I listened to the um, the Good, the Bad, and the Undead, which was really good. And I'm probably going to move on to the next one, um, the third book in the series this month. Um, and I've also, like yourself, I've been reading the recent, most recent principle, Soul Taken, and about a little over. I think about four hours left. All right. Well, uh, why don't we dive into the um, overview and key plot points of three? Kat, this was your recommendation, so you're on the spot. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, don't expect a good uh, review. I'll just keep it short and sweet and concise so we can get to the the ratings. Um, but it opens up with a seminary student, um, our main character, Kevin Parsons. Um, he's writing a paper, and he has to bring it in to his philosophy teacher. And um, after... Oh, great. Um, after he gets like an extension on his paper because he's not quite done yet, he receives a phone call in his car driving home. And this phone call is from a man who claims himself as Richard Slater. Richard Slater is the bad guy of the entire book. Um, he gives Kevin three minutes to confess his sin, or his car will explode. Um, obviously, Kevin has no idea what he's talking about, and so three minutes pass, the car explodes. Um, One quick he, point. There yes. was a riddle involved. 
Oh yes, I how could I forget that? Um yes, there was a riddle to give Kevin um an idea of what his sin might be. What the riddle is, I don't know because there's a lot of riddles in this book. What um, what breaks but never uh what was the first one? It was what uh falls but never breaks and breaks but never falls. Yes. Wasn't that the first riddle? I I, mm-hmm. I think it was something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, as, as time goes on through the book, um, Slater, um, his, uh, his demands, uh, for Kevin to confess his sin, go from like a car bomb to like blowing up the doghouse to blowing up a bus and then blowing up a, um, a library. And then after blowing up the library, he goes to kidnapping. So like his demands and his threats become increasingly, um, more serious and with each phone call and each um, riddle he gets more and more time added on to solving the riddle so it goes like from three minutes to 30 minutes to 60 minutes to 90 and you know so on and so forth if you couldn't tell the guy really is into opposites and um the number three hence the name um but um with all that being said um we Kevin gets assistance from his childhood friend Samantha, who is I don't know why I said it like that. Um her his childhood friend Samantha, who is we're gonna call Sam for short. And that's reasons um the reasons for that will be clear because this will be a spoiler um podcast because there's a big twist at the end. Yeah, and we are gonna we are gonna cover that because uh for me that was the most interesting part of the book. Yeah. Um, so our three main characters, haha, <laughs> three, um, is <laughs> Richard Slater, Kevin Parsons, and Samantha Shear. Um, those are our three main characters. Um, at first, you know, the demands are three minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. Here's a riddle, confess your sins. Well, he also has, Slater also has some rules, and some of the rules are like, only speak when spoken to um keep this phone on you at all times answer it when i call and most importantly the one that comes up a lot is no cops um if any cops are involved he said so like he'll blow the bomb early or whatever you know there'll be bad things that'll happen to him so since the cops aren't involved the fbi becomes involved and this is where we get into our side characters of um What's her name? Uh, you mean Jennifer Peters? Jennifer. I wanted to say Rachel. No. <laughs> Wrong book. <laughs> I know. Um, yes. So Jennifer Peters is now the head lead of the FBI um, for this investigation. It was also mentioned that Slater is now being dubbed the riddle killer because he gives you a riddle. Um, if you don't solve it, someone will die, but you know, Slater is being different this time. Like he's giving Kevin a riddle, but no one has died. Um, and we should also mention maybe that the reason that Jennifer was put on to this case in the first place is because she was, um, very close to catching the riddle killer in another state. Yeah. And then when this started up, it seemed like they were very similar, possibly the same person. And since she had the most experience, she was put on the case. Yes. And also um, a caveat to that is she lost her brother 
because she was so close to catching the riddle killer that the riddle killer chose her brother as her, his next victim and she he inevitably killed her brother so she's got a personal vendetta against this guy as well too um there's also some other side characters worth mentioning is um when kevin was younger his parents died so he got taken into by his aunt belinda and um that whole family is a nutcase um essentially is they live in their own separate world from reality and um whatever like from newspaper clippings and like tea and like the broadcasts on the news or whatever whatever they don't like they cut out of the newspaper and burn so like an example was belinda asked her husband whose name escapes me like who's the current president and he goes like nixon or reagan or it's reagan sorry he goes like reagan's the current president and they're like oh okay so that's not like um they're they're just living in their own separate world anything that, that, anything that um belinda doesn't like is deemed unreal and therefore just removed from their reality whether it's by like you're saying cutting out the the clippings from the paper that she doesn't like or um you know censoring news broadcasts whatever so uh, yeah everyone in the household is only exposed to the things that she deems as real which is basically things that she likes yep um and that's the environment kevin grew up in is his own little fantasy world um samantha was his childhood friend that lived across or not across the street but like down like a green patch or whatever they lived like a couple houses down but um when kevin was younger every night he would sneak out well not every night but a good majority of the nights he would sneak out or samantha would sneak out and come to his window and knock and you know they would play together late at night and um uh you know that's all fine and dandy but at some point um kevin left his window to go see sam and he saw what was dubbed the boy then sitting outside her window like licking the glass like being a real creep and whatever towards samantha and like samantha is obviously like oblivious to this because she doesn't see it or she wasn't aware of it and um kevin you know confronts the boy and it is um shown to us that the boy was like big and burly like a like a bully and he's got a knife tattoo on his forehead and he's got a big old bowie knife in his hand and he becomes um the antagonist for kevin in his childhood well long story short kevin and the boy get can have a few kerfuffles here and there and kevin um locks him after being chased he locks him into a warehouse uh that only locks from the outside apparently and he locked the boy in there and basically essentially left him to die so while slater is calling kevin and asking for confessions kevin thinks oh maybe this is my sin is i killed a boy when i was younger by leaving him to die in a warehouse floor um and so obviously the cops and jennifer get a hold of this information they put it to the press it brings new light to the case, so they check out the warehouses, and they don't find anything other than, like, bloodstains in the warehouse. So now they're coming to realize that maybe Slater and this boy are one and the same. Um, and then, you know, like I said, throughout the book, he gives more riddles, he gives more... Um, 
more demands, more chances for him to confess. Slater gives Kevin more chances to confess, but Kevin just has no idea what's going on. Um, I'll just skip towards the end of the book now so we can start actually talking about it. Um, Slater kidnaps a woman and takes her back to his dungeon. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, And it turns out that this woman was Belinda. So um, once Slater kidnaps this woman, Kevin gives Jennifer a call and he's like, hey, I think I figured out um, where Slater is, but don't call me back. I'm confronting I'm confronting Slater and I'm going to end this because at some point in time, Kevin bought a gun and he got the stones to maybe, you know, take Slater out. So Kevin figures out that um, Slater's dungeon is the old shed at his house, his house he grew up in. So Belinda's house. And there was a bomb shelter underneath. So then Kevin goes inside. He sees Slater there. He sees Belinda there. Um, And, you know, Slater is, you know, threatening him. He's like, hey, um, call Samantha, get her in on this too. Like, come have Samantha save us. And then all three of us can have like a real show together. Um, And then this is where the twist happens where it's, I mean, there's been subtle hints throughout the book, but this is probably where it becomes more obvious is when they say like Belinda is only looking at Kevin. She doesn't acknowledge Slater, and when Samantha does show up, she doesn't acknowledge Samantha. She's only looking at Kevin. Um, so then Sam figures out um, where they are as well, and she goes to the bomb shelter, and then now all the trio and Belinda are there as well. Meanwhile, Jennifer is talking to Kevin's teacher, trying to figure out, like, the duality of man. And they're starting to piece together that maybe, like, Kevin and Slater are the same person. And, you know, or because that was a running theory going on for a while. And what dissuades them of that is that Samantha calls and says that she saw Kevin and Slater together. Yes. Sorry, I went to get a drink of water. No, it's fine. Um, but yes, uh, so once Sam sees the bomb shelter, she goes on the floor and she sees like two sets of feet. She sees like the tan Reeboks that are Kevin and like white sneakers of another person who she assumes Slater. She hears two different voices. So she's like, okay, so Kevin and Slater can't be the same person. Well, here's the twist. Um, eventually, Sam gets a phone call out to Jennifer saying they're under the screw which I, this is a minute detail, but Kevin's window was screwed down in his house and he had to unscrew the, he had to unscrew the screw and then go out to go play with Samantha. So under the screw was the clue to let Jennifer know where they were. But upon Jennifer's arrival, she doesn't see Sam. She doesn't see Slater. She only sees Belinda and Kevin. And she sees Kevin with a gun to his head and a gun to Belinda. And then now I'll open up the floor to everyone so we can talk about the twist. All right. So, Rorup, what did you think about all of this? Good question. Um, <laughs> so this is not – so thriller is not really my genre of book that I would normally read or listen to. However, I do typically like the – 
that you're guessing what's happening. Um, I found this book a lot better towards the end of the book rather than at the beginning of the book. Obviously, you've got to build up the, the suspense. From the very beginning, I had a pretty strong suspicion that Kevin and um, Slater were the wild one. I, um, at the beginning of the book, though, I thought that maybe Jennifer and Sam were one. So only I didn't really click onto the, the whole three thing. I discounted that. And so I missed out the fact that Sam and Kevin were actually the same character. So that was actually a pretty good uh, plot twist for me. How about you guys? Yeah, so um, I actually had parsed out something before it was just blatantly thrown in our faces. So when the theory came out that uh, Kevin and Slater were the same person, I thought about it for a little while, and I thought, uh, maybe that could be the case. But my mind went a different way because of the evidence they were getting where Kevin could have made the call with the phone in his pocket and then left the room and then spoken to Samantha. I went the other way with it and said that Samantha could actually be Slater. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I did think that for a bit as well. Yeah. So I, I thought that maybe Samantha was the one with the dual personality and that's, um, and because that would have also, uh, explained, all of the lapses of Kevin being around when Slater had spoken to Samantha. Yeah. Uh, And look on that point, um, I agree because I think I came to, I came to like in the middle part of the book, I actually thought that as well. And the reason why is the Samantha character was really like not realistic. Like she always answered the riddles really quickly. She was like way too intelligent. And, um, I mean, so Slater having this crush on the girl when they were little kids made sense. Mm. His absence for such a long time didn't make sense to me, but this is what killed me. So Mm. if, if nobody's figured out and, and here it is, the big twist is that all three of them are the same person. So it's Kevin's body, and there's Kevin, who's kind of split between the good and evil, Samantha being the good, and obviously Slater being the evil. Um, so it's uh, so that was an interesting bit. I was mad at myself because I missed the same things that I missed when I watched um, that Bruce Willis movie and the kid that could see dead people. Um, what well, I can't remember what movie it was, but anyway, um, you go through the whole movie and then you find out that Bruce Willis's character is dead. The kid can see dead people. And so he can see him and they've been interacting. And I'm like, no way he interacted with other people. I went back and watched the movie immediately a second time. And nope, not one time did Bruce Willis's character ever interact with another person in the movie. And it was the same way with Samantha. She only ever interacted with Kevin. So Mm. I missed the same damn thing that fooled me in um, a sixth sense. That's what it was in a sixth sense. I I missed it again. I was so pissed. So 
Um, they did a good job at hiding that, though, like with, you know, in the car when he waves and she was in the car and they deliberately missed out that because she waved at them, it yeah. made you think that she was waving at Samantha and that she had seen them. And they only till later when they released that she hadn't seen anybody. Yeah, had only seen Kevin. Yeah. You were like, oh, okay. So it was done. There were yep. there were parts also I didn't think they give us enough information to really put things together on our own before the reveal. Um, I went back and listened to uh, one of the chapters in particular because I thought maybe I had just missed something. Um, but um, I sometimes I I think that we weren't supposed to figure it out until the end. Which I guess that's one way to go about it, but I have more fun if the clues are there that I can figure. It doesn't have to be obvious, but I, I want enough clues that I can parse it out on my own. And I don't know that I was given enough. I personally, I think there, I agree with you. There probably wasn't enough clues, but I think they wanted you to figure out that Kevin was a split personality with at least one of them. The fact that he was split with three of them, I think they wanted to keep as the big twist. So I think clues were a lie that you could figure out that Kevin was Slater or Kevin was Samantha or whatever. But the fact that he was all three of them, I think they wanted to keep it that closer to heart. And Which the other... is actually pretty good considering the title of the book is three. Right. Yeah. But, but actually that played into me thinking that he only had one other personality because... Jennifer was so closely involved in this. I thought it was Kevin, his split personality, then um, the other the other two. And that made three. So, I, yeah, it didn't occur to me that uh, Jennifer was not being counted in this. So, um, okay, do we want to go ahead and get to the individual rankings? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to recap over, and we talked about the the big twist, the big reveal. Um, unless you guys have something to add. All right, so, so let's start with, uh, you know what? Let's start with setting. Normally, <laughs> normally we're going to start with narrator, but let's start with setting this time. Uh, Roar and I rated it the lowest, so Roar, go ahead. Um, uh, why, give us your rating and tell us why you gave it that. Yeah, I mean, the setting is just, there's not much setting building here. Um, it's pretty much because it's set in the city in a normal circumstance. Um, so there's not much world building. That's why I rated it a four. It's like neither here nor there. All right, so um, you rated it a four. And I also rated it a four. It was basically a matter of um, it could have been any city anywhere. There, mm-hmm. there just wasn't a lot of detail given, not a lot of landmarks, not a lot of uh, – it was just very generic. They're in a city. And um, so as far as, as, far as the um, you know, painting a picture for me, it, it very much did not do that. Um, now I will I won't say that it was so lacking in detail that I'm going to say it was the worst thing ever. It just didn't do a whole lot for me. So, uh, Kat? Um, 
I want to preface that all my um, ratings are very generous, and that's mainly because of nostalgia. Because I first read this book when I was like in middle school or grade school, and this is my third time reading the book. So I I really like it, but you know, the more times you read it, the like I mean how you if you know the twist, then you're not going to enjoy it the second time, let alone the third time, because you know what's going to happen. Um, so I'm I just want to say that before I start, um, I didn't my rating was a five. It was initially a four, but then I thought that Belinda and her household and the setting that made bumped it up by one for me is because if Belinda wasn't the way she was uh, on setting her own little world with inside the world, that Kevin wouldn't have had the the bringing up that he did. So I agree with you, like the setting, it's a city. I think they're in like California or someplace. Um, but you know, there just really wasn't much to the world. And even all. when they move to other cities, there's, there's a little bit of location jumping that goes on kind of later in the book. Once again, even when they name those places, there's not a lot of detail given about them. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, go to, on, on that. Um, oh, so, Kat, sorry. is this, um, cause did you read this as a standalone book or is there a sequel to it? This is a standalone book. Okay. Uh, Ted Decker does write a lot of uh, these types of books, but yeah, I think this was a standalone. Yeah, he has okay. he has um, other like series books, but there he does. I think he mainly goes into like standalone. Okay. All right. Um, so when we go to the writing, Roar, you rated it the lowest. Yeah, I mean, this one, I think it's just because for me, uh, like, I wasn't engaged in the first half of the book. I mean, again, thrill is not really my genre that I would normally go to, but I, I felt that there wasn't enough engagement early on. But then as it started to build up, I got a little bit more engagement towards the end of the book, which definitely turned it around. I probably the beginning of the book would have been close to a three. But, you know, it, I mean, probably even a two. And I mean, it got a little bit better as it went towards the end, which bumped it up for me. Like, I probably went in a little bit harsh because I found that the writing style didn't really like speak to me. It didn't resonate with me as much as like some of the books would. All right, Kat. Uh, you and I are tied at six. Um, I think that's very fitting. It's like six is a film you enjoyed, but you didn't have interest in seeing again. Uh, I probably won't read this book again for the rest of my life. Um, three is enough. Uh, <laughs> the two, two is probably enough. I probably wouldn't have done it the third time if it wasn't for book club. But I, I will admit reading it the first time as a young little lad, it, it had me completely enthralled. Um, I was just, I remember going up at night and it's like nine o'clock and I'm like 20 chapters in and I'm like, I got 10 more chapters with another like two hours before bedtime, you know? So um, the writing, I agree, can be slow at points, but I think there's enough variety mixed in there with the riddles and the explosions and all the, you know, the threat. Um, So I think it does pick up towards the end, but it's also a thriller. So it has to have that build that build up. So I, I agree with that. It's slow and then it can get 
it picks up, but you know, it's not, I don't, for the third time listening to it, I don't think it's anything to hoop and holler about. So I have a, sometimes a hard time uh, separating the writing, uh, from the, you know, the overall story or the, um, in this case, a narrator. Um, but, um, yeah, Rory had a question. No, I think I did the same thing. I think I've I've struggled to separate the writing from um, from the context of like the characters and the plot and that kind of thing with this one. Whereas, um, yeah, I mean, it, writing in this I, the way I took this was like pacing and all of that as well. Is is that how you took this as well? Because this is we haven't gone to. Yeah, so, so my my I didn't think the pacing was great. There were parts that drug. There were parts that were really a slog. Um, I don't think it would have been as bad if I would just would have read the print version. And we'll get into that when we talk the, about the narrator. Um, the writing style I felt like was fine. Um, I, I gave it a six, which on our Jello Apocalypse scale means that. Um, you know, it was, uh, I enjoyed it, but I don't have any interest in, um, reading it again. So, um, and I think that's about as fair as it's going to get. Um, even though the, uh, the overall story was, um, it was interesting. Um, uh, I didn't necessarily think that the author did a great job of bringing it to me in a way that I, um, found appealing. So, uh, I think six is about all it's going to get. Um, anything else on the writing guys? Mm -mm. Nothing from you, Roar? No, no, no. Okay. So we'll go on to characters. Uh, I get to start that one because I rated it the lowest. I rated it, as a four, which is mediocre. And that is probably the best thing I can say about it. Um, I actually found, um, Jennifer Peters, the FBI agent to be the most interesting character in the book. Um, and I also think that she was the best flashed out because mm. she actually had a history, uh, outside of, the uh, three multiple personalities had been chasing this riddle killer, had lost a brother. We found out a lot about her, her history. And I felt like that she was um, better developed even than any one of Kevin's personalities was. And uh, we didn't get much from his uh, seminary teacher either. So, uh, the characters, the only other character that I thought came close to, uh, Jennifer was, um, the, the aunt that raised Kevin Belinda, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, Belinda uh, was kind of interesting, but, um, ultimately just didn't get enough page time. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm saying it was a four mediocre, and if it hadn't been for Jennifer and Belinda, I think it would have been way lower. And so that goes to 
roar now. Couldn't agree with you more. I think I was like actually fairly generous. Unless we're getting out of five for characters, I've felt that all of the characters apart from maybe Jennifer were unrelatable. I mean, it was really jarring in the beginning, especially with Samantha, because they were really like she was straight in and spoken in forever, and she's like midnight, like these kind of things, and I was like, oh, it doesn't really like fit in. In hindsight, when it builds into the Belinda's fantasy world, there's actually a lot more context of why that actually happens. But the same, I found that they were unrelatable, which on one side is also probably a good thing because he's a psychopath. Um, so I probably <laughs> don't want to be that too relatable with him. Um, but I mean, I didn't find them particularly engaging where I would on, um, like, so for example, on the, the Hollows series, you know, the, the vampire and some of the other side characters are actually really, really engaging. So when the main characters don't pick up, pick up the slack, they kind of carry the story for you. And I felt like that was probably the one bit that was really missing with the storyline here is because you're not engaged with like three of the main characters, which is essentially the main character. You really only have this one side character, which is like carrying the story. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this is probably where my, my nostalgia kicks in. Because this is like my one and only book that I'm like, hey, this is not Calvin and Hobbes. This is like an adult <laughs> book. And I really like reading this book. What's wrong with Calvin and Hobbes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Calvin and Hobbes. But like that was my criteria before reading this book. Um, so like this is probably where, again, nostalgia kicks in because, you know, I I think the characters were fleshed out as could be. I understand Kevin and Sam and Slater don't have that much of a backstory outside from, oh, they're childhood bully and childhood sweethearts or whatever. But if you think of it with the twist in mind, there's not much backstory you can give them without without revealing the twist or without making them seem too much of a person and yeah. not just a personality. And I can give you that, but I also think that... Um, I think that the Kevin personality that was supposed to be our, um, you know, our lead character in the, in the story was kind of just blah. I mean, he, he just didn't, he didn't, he, first of all, he was a wimp. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just wanted to curl up in a ball and cry about everything that happened to him. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I get if you have a, uh, you know, a mental disorder that maybe that is really how you feel, but it doesn't make for a strong uh, lead character in a, <laughs> in a book. And I think that in there lies your predicament, right? You have the complexity of the character, which you actually need to, because essentially the reason why he has these ultimate personalities is because he has PTSD, right? from being raised in a really weird kind of situation. Um, but then, I mean, for me, it was also that the main character, then he has PTSD and he was raised in a weird way, but then he also, he wasn't actually abused in any way. It was more like psychological dimensions where he's created these own, I like, I found it really hard to kind of like translate it, but he's also a genius, but then also struggling and I, I suppose the thing that redeemed the characters for me is that they explain that the reason why these characters actually developed and came out was because of his seminary paper on good and evil and then basically he had read up on these 
you know, the, a copycat version of the Riddle Killer, um, and then created these um, these character personas in his, in his head. Um, but then, if he did that, he did that then, then they existed like well beforehand. So he's already struggling with this as a kid. So, yeah, I mean, I totally understand where we're getting from, and I understand the nostalgia too, Cat, because I mean, like I've read books which I haven't gone back to in since I was a kid, like The Hobbit, and I don't know if like I love them now, but I haven't read them in like fifteen, twenty years, so it might actually they might actually be trash in in hindsight. Not saying this one is. This one actually was good towards the towards the end. It has a lot more engagement. What age did you read this at, Cat? First time. Um, I don't know age, but I was probably. I could tell you what grade I was in. All right. I was probably in like seventh, eighth grade. Oh, so you were thirteen ish. Probably around there. Yeah, I don't know. So I read it. I read it when I was very young because it, at school they were like, oh, you need to read books and then take a quiz on them to get like this grade on your final score or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going like, oh, why can't I just read Calvin and Hobbes? <laughs> so I had to like actually read books. And um, a friend of mine recommended Ted Decker because they're like, what, what, what do you like in books? I'm like, fuck if I know, dude. I'm like, oh, just give me something that will surprise me. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he recommended this book. And then I read it and I was like, oh, 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 what's going to happen? Oh, is Kevin going to die? Oh, my God. Oh, oh, Kevin Slater. Oh, Kevin Samantha. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, it just, I I was enthralled by it as a child. This would actually be really complex at that age. Oh, sure. Yeah. All yeah. right. Let's move over to um, our engagement. Or, no, plot. Plotting is next. So, Roar, you rated it the lowest. Yeah, and I think this one's just because at the beginning of the book, I found a slog. But towards the end of the book, it just breezed through it. It was actually really good. So, I mean, for me, the whole plot, there were parts of it that I've already mentioned that I found kind of unrealistic a bit. Um, So... But I did like the whole premise about, you know, basically it's good and evil. He's a seminary student and he's trying to understand himself and basically purge his own spirit in a way, like get get it out of him so that he can feel free as he's a seminary student, but in the process destroying basically his entire life. Um, I find that whenever I watch movies where stuff like this constantly goes wrong, it infuriates me. So it might also just be personality bit of a control freak. All right. And I rated it as a seven, which on our scale is I enjoyed it and I would rewatch it, but I'm not actively seeking it out. So, and I think that's, I think that's the most fair way to say it. It was a complex enough plot to hold my interest. I think if it would have been presented better, that I would have really enjoyed the book as a whole. Uh, I thought there were some pacing issues, and once again, the the characters were just not well-developed. But the overall plot was interesting. Um, you know, how people's minds work and, and, and sort information. And you don't, think, you don't think about this every day, but, you know, we all do it. We see something, and the way that we catalog what we see differs from person to person. That's how you get different opinions about people that witness the same accident. So, um, anyway, yeah, I, I found it interesting and, uh, I would definitely read a book that had a similar plot. Uh, I just don't know if it would be this one. Uh, 
So, uh, Kat? Uh, I rated it an 8. Again, I'll relate to my younger days when reading this, as I had a real struggle. Um, So I didn't, I wasn't raised in the best um, childhood light. Um, not not Belinda standards, but you know my parents divorced and whatever. So I could I could understand having like not very many friends, having a bad childhood environment. So I could relate to all that and like fighting off like a good and evil. I mean, who doesn't like the good and evil storyline? But you know, I think for me it was it was the twist at the end of just like Slater is not real, Samantha's not real. It's just you're you're just a confused naive young person fight trying to fight the evil that's inside of you and i kind of took that to home a little bit when i was younger so i i related to the plot and everything very much all right so i'm not a psychopath how many imaginary friends do you have (laughs) oh are you guys real and do any of them want to blow up any buildings just asking for friends no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh you were you said you rated an eight which is a solid entertaining book yeah i i think it's i mean again nostalgia playing a factor but i think it's really good it's it's um and we'll get to this i i guess we'll roll over to engagement but i did engagement as an eight as well it's like i thought it it thoroughly enthralled me like i was reading chapter after chapter you know i mean yeah the pacing's slow but you know I I still think one thing led to another fairly well. The stakes got higher, the time got longer, the mystery boded on for longer. Like, oh, is Kevin being framed, or is Kevin Slater? And then you, you know, it's just I I just really I really liked it. It and the twist at the end is like the cherry on top for me, is because you know I especially at that age I wasn't thinking like oh split personality i'm like yeah they're saying kevin slater i'm like how can that be i'm like 13 i don't understand what any of this means but then the ending explains it all i'm like oh okay so before we roll into engagement i want to go back and do the narrator um because this is going to partially explain my engagement um so um all right the narrator on this was Rob Lamont. Uh, I am the first person to say that the productions that I do here in my little studio are not professional grade. I am also going to say I don't get paid to do them. <laughs> I am not a professional podcaster. I don't I don't hire my voice out for money to publishing houses. This guy sounded like he was doing it in his closet. He had two voices, one for everybody and the other one for Slater. Yeah. Which by the way, was the only voice he did well. Yeah. (laughs) And the other thing is sounded like he was running a marathon. When he finished words, you would hear a sharp exhale. Like, and then he went to, (sighs) and then you'd hear him suck air in and, Three times within two chapters, I either heard him drop a pencil or slap a uh, a cord or something on a table or something. It was like it was done in his closet. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He's mostly monotoned. 
has this. And so give you a, a really good example. Lorelai King that does the Mercy Thompson series. I don't even need to know which character is speaking because her voices are so on point. I know who's speaking without any of the any of the text around it. This guy ran two characters together and I had to know from the context that one had taken over from the other because it was the exact same voice. Plus the fact it sounded like he was about ready to keel over from running a marathon. It wasn't so bad during situations where there wasn't a lot of action happening or something like that. But if he was in a hurry and, and trying to really get through things, it was, it was terrible. Uh, I gave it a two because a two on our system is slightly less terrible than garbage. Might have been one thing I liked. And that's the case. His Slater voice was good, and that was it. It's the only thing about it that I liked. So, Kat? Um, I... Okay, so since the narrator is an audiobook, I rated it very harshly as well, because I agree to the T with a lot of what you said. The first time I re- um, listened to an audiobook, I didn't remember any of this stuff. I just remembered the story. I'm like... But now that you made up good points, like, all oh, the voices are the same. Slater's the only distinct voice. You know, he's breathing heavy. And not to mention the transitions on Audible are, like, if you listen to it on, like, a radio or something, like, it would, like, play some theme tune while he's talking, and then the chapter would end. And then it would play the intro theme tune, and then it would continue in the book. It was very strange transitions. Like, it wasn't, like, chapter one is chapter one. Like, chapter one was, like, one through four or something. And then chapter two was five through eight or whatever. It was very odd, but I rated it a two. I agree with the first part of three and the second part of two is pretty much the same. And there was one thing that I liked. And the one thing I liked was the Slater voice because that was the only voice he did. And I, the other thing that I want to say is that theme music that played, I'm actually okay with that. If they want to do an outro intro from chapter to chapter, it doesn't usually bother me as long as it's not like long. Um, it wasn't even always at the end of a chapter. It would be in the middle of a chapter sometimes, and they would be maybe moving from where the action was with Kevin over to where the action was with Jennifer or something like that, and they would do that same transition. It almost seemed like there was no rhyme or reason. Yes. Uh, I also will say the first time I read this, I read the hard copy. So the voices were inside my own head, my own imagination. So if you do decide to read this book, don't listen to it off Audible. Don't listen to Rob Lamont. Pick it up and read it yourself. Yeah, I'd be. And I've, I've always said that a really good narrator can elevate a book. Can't make a crap book awesome, but can certainly elevate a book. But a really bad narrator can take a gem and just completely ruin it. And I think that this was a fair book. Um, if it would have had a better narrator, I would have enjoyed much more. Cue um, me. <laughs> yep, go ahead. I rated this one a five. And the reason why is, well, first of all, this is a great example of a bad narrator. Last last podcast we said what was good and bad. Um, and we only had good examples, and this was a bad one. 
It was so bad that I actually didn't listen to Rob Lamont. I got a refund <laughs> on the audiobook, and I downloaded the Chris Fabry one, which was much better. <laughs> really? I didn't even know there was another version. Yeah, it is abridged, um, but actually way, way, way better um, and has more voices. Still has that transitioning thing in the middle, and I think it might be because it's a flashback to another time, but I legit could not do Rob Lamont. I could not do it, so I I just it was, I was like, I will buy I'll buy the second book. It was painful, wasn't it? <laughs> and I think I think Kat's right. I think if I read this in text version, like I'm going to recommend a book not not next next time, but the time after. And I read that in a physical book, and I'm actually really interested to see if I like the audio book version, um, or if I like the storyline as much as I would with a. Um, with a physical book because you have the voices in your head so you can create as many uh like the depth of the character or, or your imagination is basically your limitation all right so uh let's go over to engagement and overall enjoyment we're starting to run a little long uh roar you rated engagement of five yeah i mean i'm not going to say i've already covered it all beforehand i mean it, it was okay and I, if I listened to that the narrator that you did, I would probably rate it lower. But my narrator was actually pretty good, which elevated the story out a bit for me. All right, and I also um, gave engagement a five. I think once again, just to reiterate, I would have been much more engaged if the narrator had been better. So, um, and then Cat, you already talked about your eight. Yeah. So let's hop over to our overall enjoyment. And mine was a three. Um, this is a distinct case where the narrator absolutely killed this book for me. And um, I would never I would never read it again um, unless another narrator covered it. Uh, and then Roar, you had a five. Or overall engagement. No overall enjoyment. Overall, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a five. It was pretty much straight along the line. It was just a little bit predictable. I think the premise and the plot was was a good idea. And I think if it were rewritten uh, by the same um, author, which is um, Ted Decker, or by another author and then narrated by a different narrator, I think it should actually be pretty good because I, I like the idea of like the riddles and, and the mystery behind it. It's actually got a pretty good premise to it with the three. Uh, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't read it again. I wouldn't seek it out, but, but it was enjoyable. All right. And Kat, you rated it the highest. Yeah. Um, not so high with the six, but like, like, like I said, it's my third time listening to it. Um, and third and final time. Um, I'm not going to listen to it again. I, there's nothing more to gain out of it. Once is fine. I said this before. Once is fine. Second, if you've forgotten it or you really like it, but don't do it a third time because there's you don't gain anything from it. That being said, my nostalgia kicked in. I still like it. I still think it's a good book, um, but the narrator did kind of take you out of it. Okay. So, um, yeah, kind of ran the, the gambit. Uh, anywhere from a three to a six on our overall enjoyment. We diverged about as much as we ever have on this one on mm. overall enjoyment. Usually we're within a, um, just a point or so of one another. So, 
Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, what we want to read next. Um, who's going to – so, Kat, you just did one. Uh, Roar, do you want to suggest the next one or do you want me to? I mean, I read a book called The Magicians. I don't know if it's actually um, – I don't know if it's actually on Audible. It's a um, – I know that they've made a movie, Netflix, uh, uh, Amazon TV series on it, so it's it's definitely likable to some degree. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm keen to get into the book that you recommended a little while ago, um, Super Sales and Superheroes, is it? All right. Why don't we do that? It's a book by William Aaron, um, and it is a, it's essentially a series. Uh, actually, book four is supposed to be out early next year. And it's kind of a empire building, um, harem type, but there's, when I, when I say harem, it's also not so over the top explicit like Good Intentions was. It's very, very tame. It's more, it's almost more like, um, uh, kind of reluctant romance type harem, uh, as, as opposed to, uh, full body contact <laughs> that you get with, uh, Good Intentions. So, uh, but the, but the empire building is very cool. Uh, quick overview. There is uh, the main character's name is Felix, and um, many people in this world are superpowered, and he has a really cool superpower, which is that he can alter or enhance anything that he physically owns. So you know his car or his cell phone, but he also has a very low pool of power. So even though he can he could make lead into gold he couldn't do a bunch of it he could only do like you know a speck of it because his power pool is so low and it's the way that he uses that power to start building this empire it's actually pretty cool so yeah uh cat you good with that one yeah how many is in the uh how many books are in the series right now there's three uh the fourth one is on the way uh should hit uh march of next year i believe is what audible said so, um, and I think that you'll, uh, I think that you'll start off kind of wondering about the narrator, but by the end of things, you'll agree that they're actually doing a pretty good job. Once again, I, I think that, um, women narrators that know their stuff can do men's voices better than men narrators can do women's voices. Um, and, um, still, I think that. Um, this was done pretty well. So, um, all right, we'll do book one of super sales on superheroes for our next podcast. If that's agreeable to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And is there any other, um, anything else that we need to talk about before we wrap this up? Ah. Nothing from me. All right. Well, um, guys, once again, I always appreciate you taking the time out of your schedules to do this. Um, it's uh, kind of fun. Hopefully, we will start getting some uh, listeners inside of the Gunham community and um, getting uh, maybe some of their ideas about books that they would like for us to review. 
So, uh, guys, until next time, I appreciate you coming on. Roar, good to hear from you, man. Good to hear from you, too. And Kat, appreciate it. Thank you. Talk to you all later.